This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Ferminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today, we welcome Jason Bork to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. It's appropriate that Indiana Jones is part of my standard intro, because Jason Bork is, drumroll, the Indiana Jones of the Vancouver film and television industry. Now, I know a lot of directors like to fancy that they're Indiana Jones, but Jason is the real deal. He's a filmmaking adventurer who has traveled far and wide to bring his breathtaking stories to the big screen. And literally at this moment, he's wearing a sweater that has airplanes all over it. So he's very much living the brand right now. Thank you. He spent four months in Doha, Qatar, filming Medina, the world's first Arabic and English science fiction series, and traveled to Mumbai, India, to film several key scenes for Drone, his 2017 subversive political drama that starred Sean Bean and friend of the podcast, Patrick Sabongi. He didn't go quite as far for Blackfly, his 2014 thriller about a pair of brothers, one of whom happens to be a serial killer, but it was no less atmospheric. And I know that, being an in-demand director of television movies, he's had to bring his director's toolkit to all manner of exterior locations all over the Lower Mainland. Jason is also a busy producer who has several projects cooking at the moment, including Godfrey, an independent starring Cleopatra Coleman, Nick Thune, Thune? Thune. Thune. What a great name. Thune. It's fun to say. And Eliza? Eliza Schlesinger. Oh, thank you for saying that whole one. Eliza Schlesinger. And not one, but two telefilm features, including one directed by friend of the podcast, Shannon Coley. So today we're going to talk about the life and times of international filmmaker Jason Bork. We're going to talk about blowing up a car in India and staging a murder in the GVRD. And we're going to talk about the issues faced by Canadian directors who want to direct on American productions. Jason Bork, Indiana Jones of BC Film. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited that you wore that sweater that has. Yeah, you know, it was. Uh, this was given to me actually when Drone came out. So they couldn't find a Drone sweater, but they found a nice sweater. It's very covered appropriate. Covered in planes. Covered in planes. Okay, I'm, I was just whispering. Come closer to the mic. Yeah, very, very good. So I had had like all of these questions that I wanted to ask you uh, before you came in, but then you made a statement that you noticed. I quickly typed into my computer. You said. It's harder now more than ever to make movies. You said that. I did say that. What does that mean? It's, what a compelling um, statement. The market has changed, and mm. it's very cowboy at the moment. And that has to do with sales and making yeah. money off of movies. And, and Netflix, we all love Netflix, but when it comes down to it, they are much like Amazon and, and, and Hulu. They are kind of sticking to their own. They're sticking to people that they know, and they're not giving as much opportunities for independent filmmakers. Mm. So you might think that Netflix is great, but you might be in a situation where you end up selling your indie and they might only take it for, you know, 
say, 50,000 or 60,000. And it's not enough, I think, to, to really make it work. You can go to the market now, say AFM, and instead of having, say, 20 buyers from the Middle East or from, say, uh, Eastern Europe, you might have two buyers because mm. Netflix has literally wiped out uh, a, a good chunk of the indie scene. Ugh. It's heartbreaking. It's no one talks about it. But no, it's, um, but we talk a lot about how easy it is now, f- from a technology standpoint, to pick yes. up a camera, to mm. edit a film. Like it's it's that that part has kind of leveled the playing field, and then that same part has also made it harder. It has made it harder, and wow. a lot of it also is because there's such a great focus. Because a lot you could call it a great focus on binging and watching all these awesome series, and it is a golden age of TV series. Yeah, but that is also taken away from the independent movie. Yeah. Well, I guess my follow-up then is what drives you then to continue to make independent movies? Considering your statement that you just you know, said that it's, it's really it, hard. It is, but at the same time, it's we're all born to do something, and this is something that I've always been passionate about ever since I was a kid. And it, at this stage, it almost feels like it's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> I, I love to write. I love to collaborate. I love the teamwork. Yeah. I love the adventures that come out of it and, and, and telling these stories. So that that doesn't change. Yeah. Um, other than I am moving a little bit more into producing yeah. as well, which given the state of what I just laid out makes it sound like why would I even enter that? Yeah. But I do think there's stories that can be told and um, they can find an audience. It just might not be as big of an audience as, as to what we were used to back in the day that we had, say, DVD sales and we had um, other markets available. Yeah. Wow. A lot to unpack and we're going to unpack all of it. I want to start with... I. I want to zero in on my thesis statement. Okay. And also, I mean, you use that word, international. International. Uh, international. Man of mystery. Uh, I mean, you are you are a- among the first directors we've had in here, but you're definitely the first one that has this career where you have gone into foreign markets. And, mm-hmm. and I mean... For me, Mumbai is kind of like mm-hmm. a like home. My dad's from there, but you know, you've you've gone far and wide to make your make your film. So I'm curious about what kind of like skills and uh, and skills can include everything from you know emotional mental mm-hmm. skills to mm-hmm. very practical skills to communication skills. But what are needed to be that international filmmaker? I, I think a lot of it comes down to uh, the the usual things that are great great to have in, in, in that bag of, of, of tricks that directors should carry with them. Uh, personality management is huge. Uh, time management is gigantic. Can I just ask, so personality management, that doesn't mean managing your own personality. That oh, means that, like... Uh, oh, totally. That man, Managing creatives as the captain of a ship. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that that is part of it. And, and how to... And this is something which I, I know this isn't necessarily to do with working in foreign countries, um, but there's a lot to be said about being able to work with a team and, and knowing that um, the last thing you want to do is step on creativity. Mm. So it's sort of this balance of, of wanting everyone to throw in their ideas into the pot, surround yeah. yourself with the best team, and and everyone feels like they're they're contributing. Yeah, I've worked with directors where, sadly, the the biggest sin for me is being on a set and and seeing creativity being stomped on. Yeah, and you got to keep that in mind, even in, in going to foreign countries. Um, the logistics of it, though, as a director, is knowing that there will be compromises, lots of. Um, 
crazy creative curveballs that you would absolutely never expect. And one of the skills is being able to be very decisive and how to adapt. And adaptability is is definitely number one. I want to talk about the triple C, the crazy creative curveballs. Yes. Uh, like, can you give me some examples of these crazy totally. creative cur- curveballs um, that you did not expect? Yeah. Uh, when we're shooting in in Mumbai, um, we we had a situation where we um, we we planned this huge explosion. It was going to be awesome. We were going to like have a, a car that was going to flip over, and it was going to be like from a drone strike. Uh, we showed up on the day, and they were doing a political rally right next to where we were going to be doing this giant explosion. Uh. So we ended up basically buying them off in order to to get this whole area. But then we discovered that we had so many people surrounding us that I had to pick my angles very wisely. And the ADs literally had to, like, take sticks and scare away kids from getting too close to the explosion. Um, and then uh, corrupt police showed up. So what we had to do was, and they all have big giant mustaches and, mm-hmm. and mirrored sunglasses, and it's like out of a 70s yeah. Um, yeah, Burt Reynolds movie. <laughs> yeah. And we're in a situation where how can we, you know, make this work? Yeah. So situa- And they're thinking, oh, big Hollywood production. Big Hollywood production. <laughs> yeah. So uh, those are sort of the type of curveballs where we made it work. Um, we actually did have to to shift things down a little bit and and, and um, make some changes to the size of the explosion. Um, but things along those type of lines. So it's constant curveballs. Plus, some countries, like say in Mumbai, they don't have call sheets. You don't know if everyone's going to show up on the day. You know, you you order a white car yeah. and you show up, and they're literally taking cans of white spray paint and spray painting the car white right before the explosion. Wow. And they're sticking bags of gasoline inside the car to make it explode. But we don't have fire trucks. So it, it's as it's real life and death stuff. You know, it, it's um, I, I think in Bollywood and, and 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 some countries, they just have different standards than what we're used to. Yeah, it still felt ultimately safe, and we had a great stunt coordinator who had worked on a lot of great shows. And and uh, but all that being said, as a Canadian going into those situations, you definitely got to keep your cool and and again be very adaptable. And of course, it's always about safety. So you got to keep that in mind as well. Wow. Okay. I want to hear a creative. A, what what did I say? Triple C crazy creative curveball, creative curveball. from from Qatar. Because I I will say, and I hope that uh, like are all of these photos still up on your and you can move the oh, mic so, if yeah. you want. Yeah. Um. Are they're all still up on your Instagram? Because it really like that's I think where I get the Indiana Jones. You know, it's. The, the, the interesting thing about Qatar, we were in a situation, and this is this is also very political, where we're in a country with uh, the biggest U.S. military base. I can go to Tim Hortons. Um, I'm, I'm surrounded by Brits and Americans. I'm sorry, you can. There's you can go a to Tim, Tim Hortons, Hortons in Doha. In Doha, there is and Doha Donuts. It's very different. Yeah. Doha Donuts <laughs> is very different from say right across the border, and you're in Bahrain or you're in Saudi Arabia. So so that situation is. Um, yeah, it, it feels fairly comfortable, but uh, while I was there, Trump made an announcement. He had just been wined and dined by uh, a Saudi Arabian prince, and he was going to do a billion-dollar arms deal, and part of that was that he was going to announce that Qatar was now a terrorist state. So what that meant, that here we are, right. deep desert, and suddenly all the borders get shut down. Right. That also means that all our um, uh, fake weapons, guns, uh, you know, like um, stuff for prosthetics for all the special effects. Everything gets held up at the border. No. And we were going to do our big action sequence. And the big action sequence was going to be along the lines of, of, of something from like everyone has machine guns, lots of squibs, um, lots of explosions. We couldn't do any of that. So I was in a situation where in order to keep it on track, I'm like, well, hey, I was just at a wedding where uh, you guys love swords. 
Hey, ever since, they do. They do. I, Absolutely. I mean, I'm if I'm remembering correctly, Trump actually, as part of that meeting, I think you're talking about, he literally did some kind of dance with the he sword. Did. You know, weddings yeah. are are all the guys bring out their swords at yeah. weddings. And so what we ended up doing, so cool. we, we don't have the guns. Let's let's give our our hero a sword, and and let's let's focus on that and see what we can do in order to make that scene work. So, um, but that's an example of a curveball. That's so creative, though, and it's culturally appropriate. Exactly as well. It in, actually in fact, really it, worked. It worked. It worked so much better having something that culturally made more sense, knowing that we were dealing with um, and, and during the action scene. The protagonist, he's a he's Qatari, and, yeah. and that's something that he grew up with. Yeah, and he was so much more comfortable with that rather than holding some M60 and trying to be like a Rambo, which is yeah. so uh, Americanized. Oh, that's so cool. Now, the cool thing about Medina, and we were talking a bit before, that ha- that has yet to be released. It's It's been a long work in progress. It has been. To, it has been. It's a multilingual uh, yes. production. It's like, I think the what I read, it was like the largest uh, series of its kind from the Middle East. It was, it was big. We had a good <laughs> scope to it. We had about 40 different countries. When you look at all the... Um, uh, not all the countries helping out per se, but when you take a look at all the all the crew members and where they came from, yeah, you know, a lot from the Middle East, uh, a lot from um, we had like an Iraq, Iraqi pop star. Uh, the lighting crew uh, was from Thailand. We had a um, uh, all these amazing sets that were constructed. They they, they were mostly Romanians and Bulgarians. So oh. I, I had a Hungarian AD. Um, so a, a huge mix of, of languages, and, and um, which is fantastic. So I, I thrived in that environment because it, I'm just like a sponge. This is awesome. This is why I, I make movies. How did you learn to do that? Like, you know, because pe- the people who go into like international affairs have to go and have have training in order to to deal with, you know, different cultural practices and to communicate with, you know, different cultures and people mm-hmm. from different cultures in different ways and when you're directing that kind of production like is that something that you had to learn or is that just is that just naturally you well one as as Canadians we, we're highly respected globally and and I, I do find that that just being Canadian coming into it was was a very good thing we have a very strong brand identity we that do. has to do with peacekeeping exactly and, yeah, okay. and and um, of course the number one thing is just being respectful and and that's something which which you can apply to any aspect of, of directing whether it's being respectful to those other creative ideas respectful to the the process of, of what the actors have to go through and, and 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 doing your best to understand what everyone is going Going through in order to make that movie, so that's key. Yeah, and I've always maintained that. So that was that was my, um, yeah. Lo- looking at the experience, that was definitely tops. Was was being able to be very aware that, and this is going to sound so a little bizarre, but for example, we had a camera crew of Romanians and Bulgarians back when they made Cold Mountain. That was in Romania. Everything boomed. Uh, Cold Mountain did awesome. Well, the Bulgarians undercut the Romanians wanting to to get a piece of this Hollywood production right. and because they undercut and then Bulgaria started getting busy so what that means is that Bulgarian and Romanian filmmakers um, and it was just naturally talked about they don't get along yeah you know that they, they 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 are very competitive so to have both of them on on a crew we did have some issues that came out of that so that was that was fascinating when you get into the dynamic of different countries as well that as Canadians we don't really think about yeah. Wow. 
we'll be thinking about it now oh, yeah. when I'm hey. watching you know all these like international co-production. I know it's, films. it's 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 fascinating when when you look at the culture of that and and these co yeah co-productions how how all that kind of comes together and again you got to be very very respectful culturally on, on yeah. how all that fits. What's a Jason Bork film? Um, I. It's it's funny because I I'm perceived as 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 being and I am I'm I'm very um, accommodating and and, and um, I'm I'm seen as being a nice guy uh, but the work that I love ha- it does have a darker edge to it and yeah I mean like just to interject myself into my podcast mm-hmm. but Black Fly is like I I still I recommend it to all sorts of people I'm oh, like thank you. but it it literally has kept me up at night sometimes. Like I was really disturbed. And uh, Matthew McCall. Matthew McCall. Who is a very lovely human being. He's, I can't talk to him. I can't have a normal conversation with him because of his performance in that. Like, cause oh, he is awesome. so terrifying, you know? And I mean, my God, you guys killed Peter Benson. Yeah, it's like funny. So- <laughs> Matthew and I are, are like two peas in a pod. So I, I just did another movie with him where he was uh, a villain. No! And, and at I mean, the yay! same time, I've done two other movies with him since where he's been a, a love interest in like a Hallmark movie as well. So he's he's a chameleon. But he does understand the the, the, the darker shadows of the hu- of the human psyche, and he's willing to go there. And he can kind of turn it on and off like a faucet. Oh, I've I mean I've I've, I've seen him at a few events and had lovely conversations. It's where amazing. the whole time I'm like, this is terrifying for me right now. He's gonna and like so I actually I want to watch the Hallmark movies that he's in because yeah. like that would be for me personally incredibly fucked up. But it, it is <laughs> it, it is I know. Um, yeah, we we did one up in the Soyuz with Emmanuel Vogier, and it was a full on rom com, and wow. he, he nailed it, and he's funny, and and he's he's so charming, but knowing that he can do this this darker side, yeah, yeah. So and I so mean, well. and, and and drone as well. I mean, that is uh, is this like very subversive. Um, Mind fuck as well, like that yeah. I that I also oh, really enjoy. And yet you walk into a room and you got big smiles and your sweater with your with your uh, airplanes on it or I, your pug. I, I was actually pugs. expecting because I noticed that you, on your IMDb photo right now is you wearing your pug shirt, which I really I was totally love. Happy with that. You know, so is that like like what is that like? Is that because like you make that kind of work so that you can have a happy life? Or uh, you know what? It's <laughs> there. There is a method to the pug madness. I I I, I can wear. <laughs> like 15 pug shirts if I'm doing a, a, a different pug shirts if I'm doing like a 15 day shoot yeah and there is something about accessibility and about mm. being being accommodating and and people can talk to me yeah and there there are um yeah those are the big pluses of, of being a little a little goofy still very professional and and decisive and and not hitting overtime and 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 having a very strong vision um, but yeah, at the same time, it's great when people want to see what pug shirt you're going to be wearing the next yeah. day. And it just keeps a sense of, of camaraderie as well and, and just fun on set. But as you, as far as you being like this, you know, warm, bright, kind of goofy person and, and yet also making these dark films, Yeah, you know, it's just like Karen Lamb, mm-hmm. you know, like she, she, we had her in here last week and she was talking about, um, you know, that she makes these incredibly, you know, dark, twisted. Mm-hmm. Films and yet she's also she's the woman who knits and loves cats and you yeah. know it's all it's all part of the same there's organism. A, there's, a, right? there's a lot of us out there. <laughs> it's, it's funny, eh? It's like when um, 
like my background, I, I loved scary movies. The first thing I did when I was 14 was called Dead Skin. It was like a local little zombie movie that I directed uh, using all the, the kids in the neighborhood. So it was. it's always been a part of me. Um, I, I love that type of material and, and I, I just feel very at, at home in, in exploring that. So it's uh, some of that maybe stems from Blackfly and, and um, the, the origins of Blackfly and, and growing up on Stephen King novels. And, yeah. and I might have mentioned early on that, that Blackfly was inspired by my neighbor who was a, a serial killer back yeah. in Brunswick. And to this day, you know, it's funny with Halloween coming up. I mean, he literally is the the boogeyman of, of the Maritimes, and and they still joke about him uh, because he did have quite a quite a big impact. Yeah, yeah, that's ama- amazing to know you grew up in that. And frankly, a lot of the people that I've met, both from the prairies but also from the Maritimes, are like the loveliest, kindest people. And yet to know that there is that darkness there. You know, it's uh, you know, isn't Stephen King from like coastal? Uh, he is, like yeah, East coastal Coast? Maine, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the one that we have coming up with Shannon Coley, I co-wrote the script with Paul Burkett based on a story stemming from my mom. Um, it's so dark. It's it's so dark and twisted, and um, it basically takes everything that's hell with being a teenage girl and personifying that as a monster. And it's uh, it's very creepy. Deals with bullying and um, teen suicide, and uh, it's 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 a big kick in the nuts. Yeah, that's that's um, it, it is being a teenage towards, girl. Yeah, it, yeah, it's um and Shannon connected with it in 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 a, a fascinating way. Yeah. I don't know how much to give away because it, it has to do with the plot, but it's yeah. something that she also had. Yeah, gone, no spoilers gone here. Yeah. Okay, we'll have Shannon in to talk to talk oh, yeah. about this for sure. We're yeah. big fans so of. We're Shannon very here. excited about uh, Iris coming up. Yeah. Oh, it's called Iris. Iris. Oh, a, a woman's name, but also key part of the eye. Uh, yeah, and the flower. And Mostly the flower. The flower, actually. Oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> spooky. I just <laughs> it's so spooky. Mm. Uh, you did mention that you are getting into producing more. I and, am. And uh, so, what is motivating this change? Uh, it's a combination of things. You know, it, it's um, I've. It's an easy thing for me to do, mostly because I also work as a writer. Mm. And because of that, um, I mean, I love directing. It's great. But uh, there is something to be said about just the the, the collaboration involved with um, any type of, of production and wanting to get a story told. So I, I'm totally at ease with, with taking more of those type of roles. Um, I'm finding, like the last movie that I produced, Godfrey, that... I do have a knack because of my directing experience to work with a lot of emerging filmmakers where I, I have their back. I can I can be there to support their vision, but at the same time, I, I can also, um, you know, keep it on track when it comes to budget and mm. schedule. So that perfect kind of, you know, mix of, of maintaining vision, budgeting, scheduling, it, it does, it's, it's in my wheelhouse. Yeah. And uh, it worked out very well in Godfrey. The, the next one coming up, uh, Connie Kachia is directing, first-time filmmaker from yeah. the LGBTQ community, um, inspired by some of her own experiences of having a, a brother who, who's uh, autistic. And at the same time, um, it's about the, these siblings. It's a, a teenage girl who's coming. She's coming out. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, a lot of interesting family dynamic, ultimately with a very um, – 
awesome message about the strength of family. So yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's something which they don't get made that often, and, and it is tougher to get films like that made. You know, yeah. they're not about superheroes. There's no big action sequences, but there's stories I think that need to be told. Yeah, I find it interesting that both of these upcoming projects, as well these these telefo- telefilm feature film mm-hmm. projects, are both directed by women as well. Like, is that are you making a point of of going out to support women in this way? Yeah, you know, um, I'll be honest the the talent and and the the story that that also dictates. So I, I think ultimately Connie has an awesome story to be told. Yeah, Shannon is on fire. You yeah, know, she and, and and she's on fire in in, in an awesome way because she's you know for Netflix she's kicking ass. CW she's kicking ass. Um, I, I do have uh, as a filmmaker. I mean, I'm, I'm fully supportive, obviously, of diversity. I, I have found though that that in my own filmmaking career, I've always worked with very um, awesome, talented, very strong women, yeah. and and whether that's through ads or or through producers, well, Robin, right? Robin as yeah. an example, and and I do find that there's a lot of great companies in town that, that um, uh, Lark, uh, Screen Sirens, yeah, um, uh, Patty Bickerton. Um, uh, Patty uh, is one of the producers of. I'm going to be meeting with her next week. Um, uh, the man uh, from High Castle. The man in High Castle. And also Snowpiercer. So Whoa, that's her company. So yeah. Vancouver is this wonderful hotbed of uh, female talent. Yeah. So for me, it's it's just going to. It's it's almost like the, just the, the way that it's going as well is that I, I'll be working with with a lot more women as well. I think. Yeah. Um, more from a directing standpoint, we have a lot of great. You know, female directors now in town that are totally kicking ass from you know Vanessa Pries and and Christy Will, uh, you know Karen Lamb has her thing going on. You yeah, know, the Saskia sisters, Jim Gerard is, is has gone international. So yeah. it's um, yeah, it, it's it's a wonderful time. Uh, but I also feel that Vancouver has always, especially from a, a say more of a producing standpoint, um, we've we've actually had a very good foundation of um, of strong female filmmakers. Yeah. It's exciting. Makes me sit up. Yeah. Sit up taller. Uh, as as somebody who has um, tr- seen other film scenes around yeah. the world and is not from here, mm-hmm. why? W- what is appealing about Vancouver for you? You know, it, it's I I got a love hate thing with Vancouver. I have to admit it. <laughs> it's um, same, Jason. Same. Ah, it's like <laughs> you know, I, the community's awesome. And, and 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 you know the fact that we have like crazy eights for example that Paul Armstrong's put yeah. together for the longest time and 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 you know we we have like a great support base community wise but we're also hindered by all the service production so I, I know that's awesome. People get paid quite well from it, but yeah. in some ways, it, it can also uh, do a number on the independent scene because you know sometimes we get the deals, sometimes we don't. Yeah. Sometimes UBC, UBCP, I, I wish, would be more supportive of um, you know of, of indie films. You know, if we're doing like a telefilm indie, we got to pay the same rates as someone doing a Hallmark movie. Mm. And why can't we get an extra break to to help out the these local indies? Um, a lot of the indies now have to leave Vancouver. It's just too expensive. You know, yeah. we can, we can it, spend 500000 on locations just simply by shooting downtown, and it forces indie filmmakers, like, um, basically to go outside the zone. And I'm not talking about Maple Ridge and Pitt Meadows. I'm now talking about you got to go even farther out. Yeah. So I, it's, again, you know, CW, Netflix, they do, in some ways, they do own parts of Vancouver. You know, we, we've been booted out of locations because, you know, Supergirl has 
that's the Supergirl look. So that's a street that they could kick you out of at any time. Wow. Because they're the ones that are paying the money right. and, and not the indies. So so it is, again, it's a love-hate thing. I wish people would get more riled up about this. Like, there was an article recently uh, that was, it was about uh, VIF, and it was about, you know, Totally Indie Day and all the yeah. efforts that they're try- they're putting into trying to, to get, you know, to support the local creators. But then, like, in the middle of the article was buried this stat about how independent productions have fallen year to year like 75 percent and i'm like you know i get press releases all the time from the city and the province and all these different organizations are like our industry is on fire and like for me i'm like red alert red alert i totally feel it that's why it's it's tougher more than ever to do indies i think in 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 bc and it is because of of Though, yeah, the unions, I think, could be more supportive. DGC, I think, does a wonderful j- job. IATSE, not so much. Uh, the camera department, the way that's set up, I think, uh, yeah. I don't mind getting political about it. I think yeah. they could give us a l- I think they could be a lot more supportive with, with uh, up-and-coming indie DOPs that want to, to work on, on these telefilm indies. So where do we start then? Um, like, does there need to be like a meeting of the families, like to like get everybody in a room, uh, like money, money talk? talks. So I, I don't see it changing anytime any soon. <laughs> but the main thing is that there's these fantastic indie filmmakers that are making things happen. Um, yeah. Say like a- a- um, Anthony Shim pulling off like say Daughter. Oh, which Daughter. They, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. And and Naeem Sutherland, who who was a DOP and the team he put together, John Cassini kicked ass. They, they didn't have a lot of shooting days. They didn't have a big budget. But with everything that I'm talking about as, as to this minefield of doing an indie in, in town, they pull it off. Yeah. And Marie Clements with, with Red Snow. Oh, yeah. You know, so there's, there's these wonderful awesomeness that comes out of the local scene. So yeah. I'm not It's quite a victory it. when these films it's, it, make it is a victory. It to it, the each, Honestly, now I, I see it each time that I see it happening. It's like a, it's a miracle. Yeah, and so those those miracles are happening. It, it's sadly they are happening less and less. Yeah, we're gonna take a break, and uh, and then when we come back, um, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the service industry mm-hmm. and about the big issues that are facing Canadian directors in this service industry, particularly when it comes to American productions. Mm-hmm. Hashtag just watch us. How's that for a cliffhanger? Let's take that break. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. About a month ago, the Directors Guild of Canada, British Columbia, launched a campaign that's called just watch us. 
Yes. And it was to draw, I love that you're like, yes, like you literally are part of the campaign. I love it. But it was to draw attention to the fact that the majority of American productions that are filming up here are not using Canadian directors. And by sheer coincidence, um, it's IOTSE, right? Yeah. Ayatsi. Ayatsi. I want to say Yahtzee. Oh my gosh. Okay. Ayatsi uh, 891 launched a campaign that's called uh, Damn Good Editors mm-hmm. that was to draw attention to the fact that the American productions are not hiring editors that are based here. Can you talk to me a little bit about what the heck is going on and like why um, why American productions are not hiring? Is this is this about the unions as, as well? Or or like or is it about the, the mindset that American directors have? Because it actually or American productions have it makes sense like it makes sense to me that if you're gonna do a show up here have have the people who are directing it and cutting it be from up here. Um, I think it's a combination. Yeah, and and, and this is on, my own take on it, and and a lot of people may argue this. Disclaimer noted. Disclaimer noted. Um, I, I think a lot of it comes down to money, mm. and they don't want to piss off certain productions, and those productions can go to say, for example, Winnipeg, take off to Manitoba because they have a, a an actual it's a better tax incentive than what we have. Yeah. But I mean, ultimately, you know, you got to deal with the climate and everything else. Um, or maybe they'll head to Toronto. So um, I think that's part of it. And I think as a s- service production, there is a certain amount of just bearing your throat to those type of, of L.A. companies and, and, and producers because, again, when they come into town, they bring a lot of bucks with them. Yeah. So I think that's the main thing. Um, a lot of the TV series, uh, it's education. You know, they just simply don't know that that – you know, Canada has so much incredible talent because when you think about it, especially in the BC scene, uh, if they hire a local, then they don't have to pay per diem. They don't have to get cars and yeah. hotels and, and the savings is huge. And also just by the sheer, you know, going through DGC rather than G- DGA, DGC, um, you know, is in, in some ways it's also a cheaper alternative yeah. than DGA. So it's a combination of education and I, I think no one wants to lose the, you know, sucking off the teat of the you know the LA producers I was wondering where you were going with that uh <laughs> <laughs> that analogy I was trying to think should I go there but sure why not yeah, let's just go not? there why not yeah well it's just it's 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 um, like they come up like these productions come up here and they they're do. using all of our other artists why I don't know. they use these ones uh, for the yeah. most part I mean we still find like say with costume designers um they, they sometimes they bring up costume designers they bring up um DOPs uh, production designer. So uh, the bigger series, they do that quite often. Um, you know, we've had certainly a lot of talks through the DGC about this and, and the idea that as Canadians, we don't push ourselves as much as Americans do. Yeah. And, and you know, and luck, also the way it works in, in BC is that we're always uh, a good chunk or are quite busy doing service production, so they don't have to really push it so costume designers locally can work as assistant costume designers to the bigger shows and make a ton of money mm-hmm. so there's just it's 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 complicated i know it's complicated <laughs> but do you think like equilibrium is possible like do you think like like that it's possible for there to be like a 50 50 balance between the service work of the indie work or that one the service can really like feed the other or is this like am i just sitting here smoking you a know, pipe a lot of people are going to hate it if I, ah, screw it. I'll say it. It's like when we had the Save BC, I actually thought it was a good thing. 
I, I actually agree with you because that was, and I, I don't know if it's the same. You know what I'm talking same, about? Like, it's because it was a wake-up call to say, the indie, let's give our indie scene a chance. Because if it does, service production does go away, well, guess what? Maybe we can create more of our own content. I mean, that that BC Spotlight, that was when they, they VIF introduced the BC Spotlight. Mm-hmm. And there were 13 feature length films that were made that first year yeah. you know and I, th- I believe among them was like Down River you know oh, and yeah. um, Three Days in Havana like there were some there was incredible work and that's when web series scene was thriving short and like so it was like oh we can we're, we have time and energy for our passion project totally. you know but not just not the money for it you know yeah. and like this year uh, I think we had it's what I've noticed the lowest number of independent uh, films in the BC spotlight. It was it was nine, I think, by the end. They yeah. they said that the spotlight had fourteen films in it, but there was also with with short films. So it was like, I mean, granted, they were they were films like Daughter and The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open. Totally, and Ash, yeah. So incredible films, but like I just just want to see more because like we need to. Like that's what our legacy is, you know. Like I our know, storytelling legacy and our cult. I know I'm preaching to the choir. It's, Do you know that indie film is like good and great? <laughs> it, it is. Jason. It is. It is taking hits. Yeah. I, I do find the indie scene is taking hits because it is so busy with that service production again. Yeah. And um and it is locations and it you know I. You're one of the few that are are brave enough to say that to talk about it. Yeah. You know it's. I've also been in a situation where like this this year for example I um. So I directed two movies, and then I went into uh, uh, doing Godfrey. And one of the movies I, I did in, in, in Winnipeg. And I, I got to admit, it's like also this happened when I shot in Ottawa. Is it's, it's working within? I mean, this community. I love Vancouver so much. The, the the full film community of going to other provinces is that it felt like Vancouver was 15 years ago, mm. and oh, just the sheer amount of, of like neighbors, you know, communities, you know, deals that you would get because people were just excited about the filmmaking process mm. was a breath of fresh air, and I enjoyed yeah. that. And and I, I find now it's when you go into these situations where you know we get kicked out of Gastown because there's a moratorium on Gastown because everyone's so pissed off at all the productions and there's a moratorium in, in, in Langley you know we, we're all set to shoot in a neighborhood this happened on drone um, yeah it's, we, we had a house it was free it was one of the producers houses uh, one neighbor decides to to shut us down and the entire production goes down cost us a ton of money and we had to find a new house in three days because it was just on the verge of a moratorium and then the moratorium happened. Wow. So this is the actual situation of some of these neighborhoods. People are pissed and they're not happy and they wanna keep up with the Joneses and if they know that someone down the road uh, just got $10,000 for a couple days work at their house, well, they want that and they're willing to, you know, sometimes cause some hell just to throw a wrench in the system. So um, there's a ton of money and there's a lot of greed and that being said, again, you know, there's some awesome indies can still survive within what's becoming a bit more of a minefield, I think, yeah. of, of shooting in, in Vancouver and in BC. I, I, do you feel that we're we're headed for like a bubble bursting? Um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's filmmakers, indie filmmakers are fighters and, and they're so driven by passion rather than rationale yeah. <laughs> because if you pull off your indie you don't know if it's going to sell, if you're going to get your money back, but they're willing to work sometimes minimum wage in order to make it happen. Yeah. So I think no matter what, out, out of situations that feel, this is 
not to say it's like a battle zone, but sometimes out of really terrible conditions, if you call it terrible conditions, amazing art can happen. So I think even when there are um, walls are going up, um, you know, around doing these indies, you know, you get like 350,000 from telefilm. How can you, how can you make it in your tax credits and you get a little bit of maybe a sale to super channel. If you got a million dollars, how do you make that in a town where, you know, again, it's, it's, you're being told that you, you got to be three, three million and up now to, to pull off an indie, Yeah, you know, unless you do a 12 day shoot, unless you cash in those favors. So, yeah, I don't know. It's challenging, but... Feeling luckily, a little demoralized here, Jason. Well, everyone's rising to the challenge. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Okay, tell, tell me about that. Because like, I feel like I want to do my part yeah. to do that hey, as well, you know, right? I, I think it's, you know? Um, I, I but think it's there, like, it's hard to stay here sometimes, too. Like, just in the city in general, you know? Like, to, to live your life in Vancouver. What did David Suzuki say in, a, in one of the, the many wonderful documentaries coming out recently? Uh, he said that, you know, to stay put is an act of resistance. You know, And I, like, I sometimes feel that about, yeah. about staying in this city. You know, it's, um, I mean, I love Vancouver. So doing this, this last movie... Godfrey, it was it was a decent budget, so I could literally roll out a bed and we could shoot it on commercial drive and we shot it down in Yale Town and we shot it at, at the uh, the roundhouse and you know for like a bus station and it was um it was awesome. Yeah. And I and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um as a filmmaker I always have my one foot though in, in the indie scene. I, I still look at myself as being an indie filmmaker. So yeah. I know that you can have good years and bad years. You know, it, it's uh it's not like it's consistent work. And that you have to create your own work. Yeah. So I think a lot of the filmmakers that are thriving in this industry, the indie filmmakers, um, they're not waiting for a call to work for a service production because they know the the pitfalls of, of, of trying to go down that road and waiting by your phone. But they're actually out there creating. And that's what's exciting. Yeah. And I think that's what isn't slowing down is that drive to just, again, to, to make awesomeness. And that is happening. Yeah. We're going to take a detour right now. I want to talk about inspiration mm-hmm. and and where you get your, where you find inspiration. Um, I mean, you mentioned that you grew up next to a serial killer. And yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was before we were recording or not, but you're talking about you're like, you read Fangoria magazine and Star Starlight magazine growing up. And like, I, I just, I, I subscribe to that idea of like, I'm a part of all that I've met, you know, that like, yeah, I get inspiration from everywhere, but I'm also not making films. So where do you derive your inspiration from you know what as as it stems from so many different things um i'm a sponge so i could be you know sitting on i I used to do this university i would when i was a writer i would sit behind people having arguments and take notes on their dialogue oh my god that's so terrifying to me (gasps) yeah i know but i would do it and it's something which i am uh, so happy to have not ever been near you when i'm having (laughs) an argument with somebody because like i'm although granted there is like wonderful stuff that comes up and the stuff we argue about is like was it's pretty that stellar, but <gasps> that realistic dialogue. It, it's um, have you ever direct quoted somebody having an argument? Or you're just I mining have, their I eggs have. to agony. Wow. Yeah, it, it's um. So that's. Uh, but again, I'm I'm a sponge. So uh, yes, I love uh, comic books and Fangoria <laughs> and, and other movies. Yeah. But uh, I I am a, a, a film history buff. Uh-huh. I, I I do love the masters, and I do like to study that. And Name check some people are are building their you know, their like, watch list right uh, now. It's it's the usual dudes. I mean, I, I like Sam Raimi. I grew up on like the. the Evil Dead movies, you know, it's it, Scorsese obviously was a big, uh, he was big. Uh, David Lynch is my favorite director of all time. Yeah. Um, Dune, even though it was a huge flop, I love Dune. I know it's very quotable. 
Yeah. Uh, I love that big epic sci-fi that, that he pulled that off. I mean, one of the reasons that I enjoy being married to Paul is, you know, Paul Atreides. Oh, yeah, Paul yeah. Atreides. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Paul Atreides. Mwadib. Yeah, I know. And and John Carpenter, early yeah. John Carpenter. I know it's almost a cliche with my age bracket, you know, because there, there's usually you, you talk to some someone who, who's, who's, I don't want to say how old I am, but they, yeah, The Thing. Or, and, oh, God, The Thing with uh, Kurt Russell. I mean, Kurt Russell, Jack Burton from, like, Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, yeah. You know, those uh, those were the ones that I think, McCready in, in Thing, those were the movies that, that shaped me, I think. And uh, Alien, of course, was a big one as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those were the movies that, uh, you know, it's practical horror thrillers, um, Raised in Arizona from a comedy perspective was was one that, uh, you know, the Coen brothers. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of insight right now. Yeah, yeah. And these are all incredible, especially for our millennial, listener, millennial listeners. You should be taking notes there. Yeah, all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so again, yeah, I, I'm a sponge. What about something like... Uh, like drone mm-hmm. um and and we we had a conversation a while back about how drone was like hard for some of the people involved to market or to understand because on one hand like it's it's sean bean and he's a cia you know yeah. operative and and so there's this idea that it's going to be this like action thriller and it's not it's not it's it's super woke <laughs> like it's you yeah like it's it, it's, it's, it's so nuanced and it's about families and it's about mm-hmm. about identity and and faith and responsibility to other people and it's very heavy it's um, where'd that come from that one came out of uh the actual story came out of uh, paul burkett uh and ian burkett and and friends of mine have known them since like god in the early 90s when i was working the the banana section in this produce and they were working the milk section at family foods over in victoria and we always wanted to do something together we Whoa. did music videos Hold yeah, on I, used, a I used to rotate bananas at family foods in victoria and that was that was literally it wasn't just like i'm you do produce or you just work everywhere you were you were i was working of, produce yeah, you well, were yeah bananas and yeah, they I were rotate bananas milk. and they would do the milk yeah wow we all got to start somewhere no, it's just it's just mm-hmm. the fact that there is like I just I guess assume if you work for a, a grocery store you just work <laughs> in the store. Stuff. Do, you know, like we're do. the dairy people and we do not <laughs> we do not associate with the produce people. With the produce and people. don't even talk to me about the wheat and gluten. Uh, totally. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we went way back with with those guys. That's Ian's, amazing. Ian's doing quite well now as as a producer and a production manager, line producer. So uh so yeah, they came up with the idea. We actually wanted to do something that we could do for like twenty thousand dollars and shoot it on weekends and something that's a contained little thriller that had uh-huh. a lot of a lot of um uh a lot, a lot of themes that I think resonated with all of us. I just like to remind listeners: this is the film that I mentioned uh, has Sean Bean in it, and they went to India and blew up a car. It so, grew. little bit. It was going to be a twenty thousand dollar <laughs> little indie. We we met every week for about like two months, and we, we we would each bring about like five different pitches. Oh right, your your brain trust. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah, the brain trust. And out of this became this idea of drone. And I've always had. Um, Obviously, you know, like concerns when it comes to American foreign policy. And, and at that point, you know, there's a lot being said about these drone strikes because yeah. they, they actually were happening in situations where um, 
you know, they, they, they weren't saying how many civilians actually died in these hits. And it wasn't something that they were keeping track of. Yeah. And, oh, this is before Trump. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when, when Trump actually came in, um, he actually. So the CIA now actually they do have their own drone program. And that actually has that when the movie came out, that came out in the news a, a couple of weeks after and actually got buried. Mm. So the idea that the CIA can have their own drone program, do these type of, of hits which, um, again, I mean, there's so many other factors and I don't want to get too political with it, but I, I do think it was something that needed to be said and, and something that was kind of cool to talk about within the dynamic of this family and, yeah. um, and with those themes of, of, of faith and ideology. And, and I think there's just a lot to be said to do something that we thought was smart and um, subversive and that's what we set out to do. Yeah. Knowing that we could cut a trailer that makes it look like some big Hollywood action movie, but in actuality it's almost like a play. It Most of it happens around a, a table. Yeah, it is like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in, yeah, in very some much. ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And how can people watch this? So that one um, I think it's on most VOD platforms. Okay. Uh, it was on Netflix in the U.S. Um yeah. Because that's often a problem with indie films, right? Like, I, it, where it's like, I'm like, okay, you should watch it. And, like, I've been trying to find, like, one specific film for listeners, which is Kingsway, I, and I can't find it. I'm There's, all about it, giving away links. If yeah. anybody contacts me, I literally <laughs> will say, please, thank you for contacting me. Here's a link to my movie. Yeah, I mean, it, it also contains, um, I think, my favorite Patrick Sabangi performance he was amazing yeah he kept up that accent he Um, plays a pakistani father in this film yeah heartbreaking yeah yeah i I actually thought he was cheated because he um i i i I don't know i just felt like he he should have gotten a uvcp at least a nomination something because that was a, a good example of a local indie, all that support. He blew it out of the water. He stole the show from Sean Bean. He stole the, stole show, the show from Sean Bean. And then Bean. you go to the award ceremony and it's like, oh, he's lo- losing out to like the 100 or a CW show. And it's like, let's, I, I almost wish there's a different category. For, for that kind of work. Th- th- yeah. That type of work. And and that was a, a, a time when, again, there wasn't like a ton of indies were actually coming out of, yeah. of the local scene. Yeah, what I what I love, one of, the, one of my favorite stories about that about Patrick's work on that too is the fact that because you know Patrick like you know grew up he is multilingual but he grew up in Montreal yeah you know and he I mean you can listen to his episode he is very specific it's like a Montreal accent yeah um but through the whole filming of Drone he actually kept this Pakistani accent to the point where Sean Bean didn't actually Sean know Sean Bean didn't know yeah yeah <laughs> it was, was, it was fantastic he, he's up there with me with like uh, like Matthew McCall like just we we have such insane local talent yeah and when they're given those opportunities opportunities and mostly out of indies like John Cassini uh, with daughter I I think that's the one awesome thing about indies is is that when we do them in town we can just showcase all this insane talent and it's not like a supporting role again on like a CW show it's like no this is like they should be a lead yeah and they can do awesome award-winning work and we can do that on on all levels yeah when we're given the opportunity when we can actually tell those stories and again pull off the miracle of pulling off an indie feature yeah um who who have you yet to work with uh or who have you maybe worked with on like a tv movie or something that you would love to like bring into the indie realm and put them through the paces there's people that that because i've I've done a lot of shows with peter benson for example in town it's um i've never actually worked with um uh, uh alex ponovic 
How? Wait. Whoa. I've never actually done a show uh, with Mike. Simon, yeah, please put a, a record Alex scratch Pondo. in there. Everybody's worked with Alex Pond. I know. It feels like I have. Yeah. He I've comes up him. in every single episode, by yeah. the way, of this podcast. How is that not possible? I don't know. It's just it's just the way the timings worked. I, I try to get him on Blackfly. He's always been busy. Um, you know, when, when I think of like, uh, some of the, the fun, awesome standouts, I did I did a show with. Uh, with you guys Michael. are made for each other, I though. I know. I did a show with Michael Eklund back in the day. It was a sci-fi movie where he got uh, killed by Jason Priestley, um, called Termination Point. Uh, He's coming in here tomorrow, by the way. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, later uh, in the day. You know, someone who I'd love to work with as 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 a lead, and 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 I, I have the idea, and I want to pitch it to him is. Uh, uh, Richard Harmon. I, mm. I did a, a, a television movie that got him a Leo nomination, and it, it was supporting. But I was so blown away by his talent and yeah. his ethic. His work ethic is insane, and that was someone where I'm like, I, I would just love to like, you know, sink my teeth into that guy. Yeah. Just like pull off. You and know, he's just getting better and better. I know, I know. Like I think he's one of the top in that age bracket. And, yeah. Um, I'm just constantly amazed by the work he's doing. Yeah, he's so, a fine yeah. wine. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. And he will be in this chair uh, sooner than later. Oh, but, fantastic. You know, he's That's what I like about the community. Busy. We can yeah. talk about these, these yeah. people that we all know and, <laughs> yeah. and, and they've been on your podcast. And yeah, and, and we have so much up and coming talent as well. We yeah. just got to pull off more indies in town. Yeah. Wow. Um, we often, I often end with time travel. Nice. Uh, what is your time travel vehicle of choice, by the way? Is it the TARDIS, the DeLorean, the H.G. Wells I, I, time I machine? I don't have a pilot's license, but a plane would be fun. A plane? Yeah. Oh, okay. So a time travel plane. Yeah. Um, or maybe like in, what was it, in, in Star Trek Four, where they like they, they take the Enterprise oh, and they whip it around the, uh, they it whip it around, around the sun. the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Do okay, that let's do that. Thing. So we're ricocheting around yeah, the yeah. sun. And cool. I want to go back in time to, to, you know, you're fresh out of school. Yes. And you're starting yeah. What advice would you give yourself? Um, or or would you give any advice at all? Because that's an option too. Damn. I'm like, I mean, I, I've, I've made, I, I know the, I, I wouldn't call them mistakes, but I know the, the experiences I've had that, that potentially I would play them differently. Mm. And there are times that, um, God, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's complicated, but there's times that as a director, as a director for hire, when you're working with certain producers, you have to understand the, their, their egos and their expectations. And, and in some, sometimes you, you have to adapt to those personalities in order to, to get the next gig, if that yeah. makes sense. So learn, so learn personality management. A it it comes back to earlier. personality management. Yeah. If I, if I had, I had opportunities back where, um, and again, some people might might say that wasn't the best call to make. But uh, where I, I I had the script, it was awesome. There's interest in making it, but without me as a director, and and because I didn't have as, an, enough experience. And I took the I took a stance on it where I'm like, no, I am going to direct this. I'll have to work with someone else. And I turned down this offer. And yeah. looking back, I, I totally should have taken that offer, mm. made myself a producer, you know, like, and, and gotten that film done. And, and it's one of those ones, like, say, Black Fly, I got made. This was one that I never did ever get made. Yeah. And it, so it's, it's yeah, I don't know if that answers your question because it's complicated. It, I mean, well, frankly, it's advice for yourself, you advice know. Advice for myself. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, the older I get, the more um, 
I, I do find that um, I do speak my mind a little bit more, and and I also realize I love it. it's good for podcasts. Well, the older that, <laughs> you know what it is. I, I think it's because I have a, an understanding now of, of just there's some people I just don't want to work with yeah. because of the the poison or the toxicity, and um, I, I think making decisions ultimately where you can do a balance between filmmaking and life, and and I think life has to ultimately you know you want to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you my. I, I know I said that was the last question. Okay, yeah. But then you, I have you, another question that cool. that's directly okay, stems. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you ever have moments that are in your life that are like, what the fuck? This is actually my life moments, like, like in a positive way. You know, like where where like fr- frankly, I often have that feeling here, sitting here, where I'm like, I have a little bit of an out of body experience, being like, oh my god, this is actually my life. What the mm-hmm. fuck? This is amazing. You know. So, do you have those? And if so, like, when do those happen for you? You know, it, it's I, I've I'm blessed enough with the work that I do and to create my own work that it it, it never actually feels like work. Mm. So that for me is what it comes down to. So every time I'm working on set. Um, it feels like okay, great. I, I can understand my sandbox. This is what I got. What what's been given to me. But guess what? I I can play in this sandbox. Yeah. And that's luckily that's been every single production. I've I've never lost that feeling of every magic. Single I just production. love it. I love it. So that that for me is something which is is pretty much a constant. Yeah. I don't I don't have much hobbies. I mean, it's basically other than, you know, I love dogs. Um, you know, uh, Heather, my my partner, has been so supportive of this, but it's uh, I kind of live and breathe yeah. filmmaking. Well, you are welcome to come and play in our Aww, sandbox. Thank you anytime, Jason Bork. Where can our fans find you on the social media? Oh, I'm. Uh, let's see, JasonBurke.ca is my is my website and uh, Instagram. I'm, I'm trying to be a little busier on Instagram and also. Yeah. Oh, I love your Instagram. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah I got to post more stuff. Um, yeah, and I'm also on Facebook, yeah. and um, again, very approachable. Um, I'm always uh, talking to folks in the community, always going out having coffees, always reading scripts. I, I've just been sort of a staple in, in, in this community. Wow. Okay, if you live in Vancouver and you want to talk to Jason. Hey, I'm an open book, honestly. <laughs> he literally I, put that offer out there. <laughs> I, I, I do find that, that as filmmakers, there's there's especially with – I've been at this for a while, and yeah. I do feel a, a responsibility is – I just want to be supportive, and and I think um, knowing the challenges that filmmakers are facing, and and I have gone through some of those pitfalls. Um, I'm I'm totally an open book when it comes yeah. to, you know, my, let my, people my own learn from your expe- totally. from your experience. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, I I'm totally up on on giving back as much as I can. I love that because frankly, we I mean I don't actually have the technology to whip around the sun and send us back in time you know so we cannot go back in time and change our past or whatever but we can help people in this moment you know what i never had that help yeah Uh, admittedly i never had a a mentor i never had at that point in in my career uh, it was myself and, and my buddy ken and we formed gold star and i was doing my music videos but um, yeah, there's never really anyone that I, I, I could connect to when I was a filmmaker. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to report that you know I, I got like a you know like a, a dozen filmmakers that I'm constantly talking with and and you know throwing in my two cents and and helping uh, especially lately these emerging filmmakers. Yeah. Well, because it is all about community. It is. Yeah. It's all about community. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. 
And to our listeners, thank you for spending this time with us today. Please like and subscribe. Leave us a review if you are so inclined. They really help us reach more listeners. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Firminger. And it's produced and edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Firminger. We're a family business for technical support. And to Dane Develay for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! <laughs>